It's Sarah, and welcome to season two of Better in Bed, the podcast where we talk about sex and inspire you to get better at it. We've all heard about the honeymoon period, that time in a relationship where the sex is amazing and you're crazy about each other. And we obviously want that to last for as long as we can, but then time and reality set in, and suddenly we're left wondering what happened. So today, we're going to be talking about just that, sex, love, and making it last. And if you love this podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps other people find us. Also, make sure you get on the Sarah Sense website and sign up for my newsletter. You'll get access to all the content I'm creating. So that's blogs, talks, competitions, podcasts, and not to mention some special sex tips that I only share over email. So let's introduce who I have here in the studio. First, my co-host and lovely friend, Kat. You've heard her on season one talking about masturbation and on our live show. And she's back again to lend her lovely voice and energy to our podcast. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Thanks for having me again, Sarah. Hey, Kat. <laughs> <laughs> and we've got Nikki Green, who is a sexual marital psychotherapist who has more than 20 years experience working with couples in Hong Kong. You'll find her on her platform, The Academy of Lasting Love, and she's currently working on a course and a book called Love Him or Leave Him, A Woman's Guide to Gratefully Loving or Graciously Leaving Her Man. Hope I got that right. Yeah, you're gonna tell us course. You're going to tell us more yeah, about absolutely. that, right? Well, welcome, Nikki. Thank you. It's great to be here. <laughs> it's great to be here. It's great to have you on the show. So maybe tell us a little bit more about you. What inspired you to be a couples therapist and, you know, what are you working on currently? Yeah, well, really, I think for me, it was just, I really wanted to figure out how to make relationships work. And, you know, having had a lot in my life, there was just something that what I was, was not getting right. So when I had my daughter in my early 30s, that's when I decided I wanted to train to become a relationship therapist. Yeah. Okay. And tell us about what you're working on right now. So your course and your book. Yeah. So my course is really because I was doing a lot of couples work and just finding that I was just having really great results just working with the women. Right. So that's really what I've decided to do going forward mm -hmm. is a course because women are really, they are the key to the relationship. Right. You know, they're like okay. the sun and the yeah. planets revolve around yeah. them. So yeah. really helping them understand how it all works. It's, they're just so, it just really empowers them to just turn things around. In many ways, they're sort of traditionally like the guardians of a relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. And they're all about emotion and... Yeah, and you know, you've heard the story, happy wife, happy life. Mm -hmm. But a husband needs to actually be taught how to make his wife happy. So that's really what this course is about. Okay, but well, what is a woman's guide to a gratefully loving and or graciously leaving her man about? Is the premise about long-term relationships and when, it sounds like, when do you stay and when do you go? Yeah. 
Is it, that what it's yeah. trying to answer? I think women have, having worked with them for so long, there's two main things that are keeping them in a relationship. One is that they feel they haven't done enough themselves. And the other is that they feel somehow that they're going to lose something. Maybe it's financial or maybe it's for their children, the family, or maybe it's their reputation that's keeping them in the relationship. So to help them get clarity over the second point, but really understand that first point and really help them empower them to really feel that they have done everything they possibly can before they then take stock and, you know, see if, if they have been able to encourage their man to help them, mm-hmm. you know, turn things around. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, maybe let's talk about our topic then. So our topic today is sex, love, and making it last. So I guess I just wanted to ask some general questions. This is open to everybody. <laughs> but what's your view? Can great sex survive a long-term relationship? Yeah. Or does it just go away it, once but, the honeymoon you know, period's it's, it's, over? I think it's this answer to most things in life. You know, if you want to work at it, mm-hmm. you can have an absolutely amazing sex life. Yeah. But if you just sort of expect it to happen yeah. and expect just to make things happen when you feel like it, it's never going to happen. So, yeah. 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 I think it's like one of the greatest myths I think that people have. Like maybe they watch too many movies or read too many Mills and Boone's yeah. books that like sex is always supposed to be this spontaneous easy thing that comes really naturally and and it may be so early on in the relationship but then at some point I don't know if you're familiar with like Helen Fisher's work and all of the you know what goes on in your brain right as your as the relationship progresses how eventually once all of that dopamine starts wearing off in your brain then you know you have to actually start making the effort to introduce sort of novelty and adventure to sort of re-spike that dopamine. When you're no longer addicted. (laughs) Exactly. But you can kind of recapture little bits of addiction. Absolutely. Yeah, there's nothing like great sex to make you feel good. Yeah. What do you think, Ed? I was thinking mostly with the idea of kind of that reintroduction and that curiosity. When you start... A relationship, at least in my experience of starting relationships, that curiosity is kind of, as you said, comes very naturally because you're still asking questions all the time. Mm-hmm. You're still looking for things that you don't know that are very basic. And so I think that the difficulty is kind of finding that next level of curiosity, like what don't you know? And like the questions start getting harder. So the conversation starts getting harder. It's not just that interest. It's not just yeah. that lust. I it's think- like trying to find out pieces of human that you don't know and that you don't even know how to tell about yourself yeah it's like how do you kind of not just engage another person but also re reignite that curiosity in yourself yeah and communicate that correctly yeah well you know i think really sort of in a nutshell we listen at a really superficial level and where if you're willing to really deepen the whole thing and just listen a lot more and and explore everything is interesting So that's really how to keep things going. 
Do you think also sometimes people make less and less of an effort to become interesting? Well, sure. It's like that comfort level. Yeah, Yeah. it's not a thing. Once they, you know, then they do everything together. They, you know, and then of course you're less interesting to each other because you're always in each other's pockets all the time. There's that understanding (laughs) that comfort, the pattern of comfort is misinterpreted as a good thing all the time. Right, right. So you're always like, okay, if I'm comfortable, this is good. (laughs) (laughs) Not good, people. I don't need to try anymore because like we now have this, you know, Monday we do this, Tuesday we do that, Wednesday we rest or you know maybe we don't but that idea of kind of going out of your comfort Mm. zone once you've created it becomes quite uncomfortable very uncomfortable yeah and that's what we're aiming for and I think (laughs) I think sometimes it's more uncomfortable for you to start thinking actually what am I missing versus what do I want from that person like what am I trying to push from them actually maybe there's something that I haven't yeah you know really explored on my own because I'm so comfortable in my little and you're afraid um, to yeah. you're afraid to say anything Situation. in case you get judged or you yes, know your partner absolutely. goes wow I, you know what's wrong with you and it's like oh okay now you think I'm a freak and I'm madly in love with you <laughs> yeah. but then it might touch you You made a point I think in one of your posts I think a couple of days ago Sarah was like if you don't actually keep it up like the, these muscles or these triggers in your brain to keep up that when you keep reading, you lose the intention to reading. If you don't keep up having sex, you lose that intention and that, you know, lust for life and lust for passion. Yeah, use it um, or lose it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think within your own self, like you really have to keep that going. Yeah, regardless of desire. Regardless of desire, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. You know, I get a lot of clients, they say, I don't feel like sex. I'm like, so what? <laughs> really? <laughs> What's your goal here? You know, is your goal just a to have a good yeah. time was your goal also to keep your relationship juicy and be yeah. great and role model for your kids and yeah yeah and that kind of may touch in upon like what's affecting other parts of your life or what's affecting other parts of your relationship if you missed episode one of season two mm-hmm. we did um a couple of weeks ago we kind of touched on this idea that the energy that you're getting from either a sexual relationship or you know other parts of your relationship kind of feed into each other and if you're not feeding one part it's going to affect the other parts of what you need yeah. and other parts of your life. And, yeah. You know, and don't ignore it. Comfort is not always your friend. Yeah. Well, no, but <laughs> it's, it's even the exact opposite. Get out of your comfort. If you're too comfortable, there's something wrong. It should be the mantra. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, oh, let's okay. get out. Sure. Just not, not a crazy amount, but, you know, it's just, it's just that actually it's 1% is what you put every time, you know, pushing yourself, pushing yourself. Not a crazy amount that they, you then get worried and wish you hadn't done it, but enough that right. you are growing your confidence and pushing yourself a little bit more. But growing. Th- growing. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, back to that point that you actually talked about. So you said, you know, some women come up to you and they're like, oh, but I'm not sure that I'm feeling any desire. I'm sure that must come up quite a bit because... It comes up an awful lot. Yeah, well, I saw this like quite startling statistic on sexless marriages recently by Newsweek magazine. And they said that it was as high as something like 15 to 20%. I think that is low. I think I, really? I would say it's even higher than that. You think it's Absolutely. even higher? Absolutely. But 15 to 20%, that's one in five. It's one in five, but you, you know, <laughs> the divorce rate is 50%, right? Right, right. Yeah. So... Okay. You know, I think I don't think people are having great sex right until the day they divorce. So there's something <laughs> no, wrong with those you're probably statistics. Right. You're probably right. So how would you advise somebody who came to you and said, you know, I've 
lost my mojo. Yeah. There's, you know, we haven't had sex for over a year. Is there a chance to rekindle things? Yeah. And how? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, it's clarifying your goal. So if your goal is just to, you know, have great sex when you're excited, then that goal that we're talking about. But if your goal is to make the relationship amazing and to create connection and closeness and adventure and experiences together that's a different goal and it's going to require a whole different mindset and different steps to get there and it's human nature that you're going to be up and down with the desire anyway so kind of take desire out of the equation a little bit and like anything in life you've got to pencil it in right you've really got to pencil it in and then just show up fully and have a really good time but that's why it really helps to know your body and to be able to have an open conversation with your partner. Initially, I think with your clothes on, because it's such a vulnerable thing mm-hmm. to do. Yeah. So you have a conversation about what your wants really are. And you mentioned that earlier is when we start, it's a wild thing with women that yeah. we're kind of like, does he like me? Does he like me? <laughs> you know, and it's like, well, hold on a minute. Let's like turn yourself? that around. <laughs> do you like yourself? Do you like him? And if yeah. you don't like yourself, he's not going to like you anyway. So yeah. that's definitely the, you know, one of the first things you need to start working on. But yeah. do you really like him? Or yeah. are you just like, yeah, I caught him, which so many women do. And it's just anthropologically wired into us, right? Right. To do that. So, you know, turning that around, I think, is a really important thing. So, really, women just become a lot more selfish, isn't the word, but just aware of what makes you happy and then appreciate the heck out of it Mm -hmm. so that you'll get a lot more of it. Yeah. So, you're saying that ultimately, really, it, it starts with you. All of the work really just starts with you. And I don't know if you know, but I feel like in Asia, we have quite a pragmatic view of relationships and sex, you know? And I think in general, like, I mean, my parents were like, you know, you don't expect sex or, or, you know, love. Like, you don't really need love, you know? A lot of it is very pragmatic. It's practical. It's security. I don't know if that actually... Do you find that the case? No, I don't think. I think women today require a lot more from their relationships. I think when, you know, the power imbalance was really huge, that was more the case. And I think that last generation, they broke, you know, my mom's generation, they broke the doors down for, you know, women women. to get out there. And so I think the bar has definitely raised on that. And when you see, do you see Hong Kong women as well as like I guess like cosmopolitan international expats and stuff yeah and they're all have similar expectations they do but I'm not sure that I think at the end of the day if they they might decide you know what I don't want to work this hard at it but I'm going to keep the relationship whereas I think more sort of western orientation is I'm going to leave this if it's not working for me 
Okay. So I think that's a right. little bit so faster. The so- do you think that's because of a social parameter or potentially just because of I do. I think it's the social... Yeah. I do. So I think... You, isn't there more stigma with well, Asian uh, I, I women leaving? But And also mum's mom's advice. The support system. Right. Sort of, like where, where the support system and the values that are kind of around that support system. I think they do differ quite a bit. I wouldn't say massively, but they're still... I think they weigh different importance in Asia versus maybe in a Western educated um I guess family community. approval is a really big um, it's, there's still yeah. a little bit of family approval mm-hmm. um, that I say weighs quite importantly mm-hmm. in Asian culture. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. it's still in Hong Huge. Kong. Huge. It's very um, much more collective, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Well, and and the point of view I think is still around the, having that importance and acceptance from them, and it's still a little bit from the old traditional but, value points. Yeah, but also, don't you think that you know, being told by mom from an early age, hey. This is how it works. Don't be surprised when this happens. Mm-hmm. You almost expect it. So I think, you know, a lot of Asian women are not fighting it quite as much. And it's not just Asia. I think it's, it happens in a lot of other places around the world. I mean, we were using this as an example. But there are a lot of cultures. Non-Western. Yeah, no, yeah. And maybe non yeah, outside UK or America. There's a lot of family pressure as to, you know, what a relationship is. And the ideal that you had from that is very different everywhere you go absolutely so it, does, it does hold a lot of weight and it's hard breaking from that when you know it doesn't feel right yeah and the bar for the way men behave i mean you look at mexico whoa you know there's a pretty low bar there <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I've, I've only been a couple times on a holiday so i had a great time unfortunately i wouldn't be able to comment on that in, the, <laughs> in any other aspect yeah fortunately for me it's a, it's a good um, place for but holidays. It, it's it's yeah. funny actually uh, this is going to sound like a really strange reference but i did just watch a talk show where gloria estevan came on and was mm-hmm. explaining her new show and how her mother was so opposed to her relationship because she thought you know that this style of lifestyle that you know, Emilio Estevez was living, was not good for her daughter, and she spent 16 years fighting it and trying to drive them apart. So, you know, you do have these cultures that, like, really aggressively try to hold importance and try to, you know, you're not just a couple of two, you're a couple of potentially 10, Mm -hmm. and, you know, your grandparents, and, you know, it's something that you have to fight, and you got to be careful on how you do it, because it doesn't just affect, you know, you and yourself. So I think that yeah. definitely also comes into play when you're really deciding if this is something you want to do. Yeah. And, you know, that's a really good point. So I also help the women that I work with give them scripts of how to talk to okay. family members. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Oh, you do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, or even bring them in. Yeah. You know, bring in your... I've had several clients bring in, okay. especially their mothers. Right. So did you ever do um, kind of role play exercises? Absolutely, all the okay. time. Yeah, it's really helpful, and just even the role playing just is a confidence builder. Okay. Just to be able to sort of feel those words coming out yeah. of your mouth and hearing yourself say that and go, "Oh wow, okay, the earth did not open up and swallow yeah. me up." Right. You know? But it's also good to like troubleshoot. What if she says this? Yeah, she says exactly. this. What if she says this? You've got like your scenario planning. <laughs> and kind of once you open one little jar of worms, then you're yeah. like, oh wait, now what if she does say this yeah. thing? And then like you start seeing where a little bit more problems kind of can pop up, and it might be a really good insight actually as to what another problem or a characteristic of the problem might be. So that's actually really interesting. I bet it's also very affirming when you get into that place of you know saying stuff out loud yeah Um, absolutely I mean that's really I think that's a wonderful thing and I think 
primarily that's what women are doing right now is finding their voice mm-hmm. and they haven't had real role models for it because right. they've had really quite masculine role models you know our mothers who brought ceilings and went out and did all this they did it in a really masculine way which has yeah. definitely affected their relationships so it's the generation of women now who need to learn how to do it in a really feminine way mm-hmm. so that you can keep that beautiful balance of energy going. And that's got so much to do with longevity of a relationship. So other big question, do you think a relationship can actually survive without sexual intimacy? It depends what kind of relationship you're talking about. And it depends if they're on the same page with it. Right. If okay. they're both on the same page and they're really not that bothered about it, you know, they are going to end up having a relationship like a brother and sister or best friend. Yes. And if that works for them, then, you know, it's really up to them. They get yeah. To, but if there's one partner that wants it and the other doesn't, yeah, that's not a good prognosis. Yeah. yeah. That's... So communication, basically. If yeah. you don't talk about it, it's not going to go away. <laughs> but do you think it can survive? Um, I personally don't but again I kind of do agree with the idea that like if both people don't want it I don't see what the problem is yeah um yeah I wouldn't want that yeah I mean from a personal point of view personal point of view (laughs) yeah I can't imagine what that kind of life would be like yeah I've definitely had moments where it's been a very long dry spell and that is not somewhere that is comfortable or enjoyable or pleasurable and it does it seeps into everything else of my life Mm. it affected how I felt with work it affected how I was on my own so no uh Categorically, no, categorically that's no. why we were given vaginas <laughs> not for you yeah. that's why it's not got a door that's meant to be closed all the time yeah it's yeah opening <laughs> exactly i feel sex is not it's not even about the sex necessarily no. but it's about that as you say the playfulness the intimacy the vulnerability all of those things that come together with sex, right? Yeah, and all those hormones lose. afterwards that you exactly. just Exactly, yeah. with on. the hormones, exactly, that you kind of lose if you don't have that, yeah. There's a reason it makes you feel good. If your body's capable mm. of yeah, creating that, I don't see why you wouldn't want to take advantage of it yeah yes your god-given your god-given right absolutely Absolutely. and and that's why it doesn't matter about desire because Mm. you've got all that on the back end Mm -hmm. i mean most women who don't feel desirous but they're penciling it in you know 90 percent of them are glad that they did it anyway afterwards right you know as long as everything goes well and his technique is great and you've taught him how to (laughs) you know how to really please you actually even if it's not great the connection that you make trying is also something that's you know it can be memorable mm. it can be a connecting but you know let's moment. be honest have you ever had bad sex i have never yes. actually had bad sex uh, no i never. was uh, mm. really mm. yeah well i'm very well, that's why I'm you're glad here for you. <laughs> <laughs> yes i have um but I've also had not, gr- I wouldn't say bad, but I've also had not great sex with people I was really connected to. And I wouldn't say that that ruined the relationship. And it definitely led to things that you discover about yourself. And it can also create, you know, despite awkwardness, it's a moment we can remember and go like, okay, well, let's not do that ever again. Um, and then you share a moment of vulnerability and that's also kind of a nice thing yeah, to share. Yeah, there's like a deeper connection yeah. that's built. Especially if you can get over it exactly. and still maintain that Exactly, connection. and like, you know, either laugh it off or, you know, it's just something that you share that nobody else does, which yeah. is a nice kind of, you know, hidden yeah, that's secret important. failure. Yeah, but then what happens if he tells his girlfriend, you know, his new girlfriend about it? 
well, what do I care about his new girlfriend? I'm not having sex with her. <laughs> yeah, I know. But how do you maintain a friendship with him when she, you know, she oh, comes well, along? I mean, it depends. Those... I mean, that depends on your outlook. And I probably reiterate what you said. Depends on kind of your goals afterwards. It's like if you do want to maintain that afterwards, you know, and maintain that connection in a different way, then those are things you'll have to go through and talk much like any other part of a relationship. But if you then start to really get nervous and you start to focus so much on what he's going to say afterwards, I'm not focusing on myself anymore in that case. And to be honest, I don't care what the other person in that third party is thinking because they shouldn't have really any part of where I'm going after that. I don't care if his new girlfriend thinks I'm good in bed because, like I said, I'm not going to be having sex with them. I'm going to be looking for somebody else who's better than him. Yeah. (laughs) But it's hard. It is hard maintaining a friendship with a guy that you've had sex with when he gets a new girlfriend. It can be. It depends if you've had a friendship first, I feel. It depends. And then maybe the sex just came after that. I think it also depends on how it ends. I think the way it breaks off is also really important. I mean, if it's an amicable kind of decision, you guys kind of come to terms with like, actually, we're probably not great for each other. And it depends on how your current relationship was going. If you've always been, you know, not exclusive, I find it a little bit tricky or hypocritical to suddenly become like, no, you can't be with somebody else even though I've let you be with other people the whole time and I just want you to be your number one. It is... Again, it's a lot of self-work into it's you a know, lot of self-work, making yeah. sure that you're getting what you need and that you're okay with the decisions that you're making and that you're not just trying to say things to fit into what you think he wants to hear. Yeah. Being that cool chick, that's a big, big problem. That, what? Yeah. We, well, I think Sarah and I have had this conversation about how to maintain your levels of jealousy and what actually does jealousy mean? Is it an emotion? How do you handle that? And what are the outcomes you can pull off of those emotions and feelings? And it's tricky. There's, I don't have any yeah. science behind it. Or maybe if you're not such a cool chick, maybe <laughs> maybe his new girlfriend is a really cool chick. Yeah, exactly. Hope. Well, maybe you should take a hint. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe there are things you need to learn. Yeah, but I just, I mean, I think being a cool chick at the beginning of a relationship always ends up biting you on the butt later Mm. on. I think it's a certain amount of self-awareness, right? I I think there's cool seeming cool, you know, just because like I want to be like that. But actually internally, you're really not that cool. Like, I mean, you're really hurting. And I think it's being aware of what you're doing. But then I do definitely think that there are even relationships or even people that I've slept with that have moved on and I am just genuinely happy for them. I genuinely am happy for them. Agreed. Yeah. I also think there's also, there is a method of taking time apart where you're not going from having lots of sex with each other to being super involved with the next person that he's with. Allowing a little bit of alone time to grow into your own independence again is really important to maintain a friendship post-relationship. It gives each of you a little bit of space to be less codependent, kind of find more about what you were missing with, you know, your, your partner at the time. And it allows you to kind of see them again in a different way and not so freshly off of the bed, if you will. And it's, you know, being kind to yourself, saying, look, it's healthy for us to be a little bit apart. I can't give you a time span. That's really up to the When the chemicals wear off. When the chemicals wear <laughs> off and... It does work. It can happen. It's definitely happened for me. I know it's definitely happened for Sarah. And it's just about being really, really honest. And when you do feel like you're kind of getting into those small little 
heart pulses of like, mm, this doesn't make me feel great or mm, not so happy for you. It's just pulling yourself away and realizing actually that's not a situation that I want to be in. You can let them be happy, but you know, it's no point in pushing your negativity on to the third person. It's not their fault. Mm, absolutely. So what happened if, if one partner desires sex more often than the other? Because I feel like that must be a very common situation. It that is you a very with. common one. And it depends when as well. I mean, when you have young kids and the babies are just using your body and you're just absolutely exhausted and the thought of somebody else using your body doesn't really thrill you. But, you know, I really believe wholeheartedly that you want to try and keep the energy, the sexual energy within the relationship. So is there anything that you can do, you know, if he's really horny and he's happy to masturbate while you're lying there reading a book or whatever and you just sort of give him gentle encouragement every now and then, it's a beautiful way to keep that energy, you know, within the relationship. But right. of course it's going to require the couple to get over, you know, get out of that comfort zone and yeah. just share that space. Yeah, I guess it sounds like you kind of have to try to find some manner of compromise at some point. Yeah. So you've got to give a little, just make sure that, yeah, everybody's needs are met, even if it's partially right absolutely and i think then they appreciate that you've met them halfway yeah and they'll meet you halfway rather than right really be yeah strict about getting all of their needs met all the time exactly as but also as opposed to just saying like a hard no all the time no no you know and that's also quite hard to i think i think partner I, I like the, you know, approach, where are you? On a, I'm, a, I'm at a nine right now and I will probably be a 10 when I get home. You know, if you can just sort of, main, sort of keep that in mind, that would be great. Right. So you know that that's where your partner is. So you yeah. can do whatever it is. If your goal is to maintain that wonderful, juicy relationship, yeah. your goal is to do whatever you can yeah. to be in that headspace, yeah. uh, you know, when eventually when he gets home, whatever. Yeah. yeah. So part of your profile also says that I didn't read it out in the beginning but it says that you are known as the affairs expert and I suppose that that must also be quite a common situation that you deal with especially with long-term relationships and in relationships that clearly are not happy that are breaking down now how do you advise couples with that I mean can you actually recover from an affair is that possible yeah you can I mean the amount of couples that I've worked with who have recovered and actually said, wow, that was actually the best thing that ever happened to us. Really? And it's really hard to see it on the front end right. when you're in that shock and that trauma. Right, yeah. But what it requires of each other is yeah. to create a depth between a depth in the relationship and a recognition of each other and an honesty and mm-hmm. just deepens the connection so much more. So how do you... I mean, how do you guide couples to make something as traumatic as an affair into a positive experience? Because that must be, that's quite a journey. It is definitely (laughs) a journey. And really to just have honest conversations about what the need was that took you to that place, to have a look, to take equal responsibility about how the relationship also got to a place where that even happened I mean there's different reasons that people cheat of course of course yeah yeah but often the relationship is not in a a good place Mm -hmm. it's like a two-pronged approach really right and does it also involve 
kind of both parties taking responsibility really for the breakdown. Yeah, it requires a fairer to take responsibility for pulling the trigger, but it, it requires both of them taking responsibility for the fact that the relationship was in that really vulnerable place and how that actually happened. And Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we just, we know communication is so important for couples and for a healthy relationship, but why don't more people do it? (laughs) (laughs) But it's scary. You know, we were just talking about comfort zone. I think that's just the bottom line is, you know, staying in your comfort zone is what we're all pre-programmed to do. But you were assuming that the comfort zone is just not talking to each other. Well, it can be the opposite. Right. It can be a lot of hostility. Oh, it's right. usually an either or. Okay. So it's usually either a lot of hostility or ignoring, sweeping it under the carpet. Or silent. You can have silent hostility too. <laughs> Do you think there's also maybe a, a, a part of it, I mean, this is more a question of, that we don't really have vocabulary or we're not really taught how to talk about what we want, what there is out there. Like there, there's very little information on how to, communicate about relationships and about your feelings and about sex um, is a big one. Well, sex you know, definitely. Sex is a, ba- a sex, big one. Ba- yeah, you know, the vocabulary sure. and, and yeah, the, yeah. you know, the taboos that are already out there, you know, talking about it in the first place is already so limiting. And the shame that comes along with that and then the shame that kind of then spills over into, you know, other feelings that you have yeah. within the relationship. So do you have to go through a lot of kind of that part of the... Yeah, like training or rebuilding is like t- telling you know helping them to communicate with like actual words or yeah, and I think also tools. you know when you look at it and it from an energy perspective, which is always a really good place to look at it because you can get like that you know two thousand foot view on the whole thing, and really understanding that the masculine and feminine energy in the whole thing, and most of us were brought up in a win lose paradigm. You know, most of us were, we came from families where, you know, most of us, it wasn't like win-win and let's find a way where everyone wins and this is great and let's agree to disagree. It was, you know, whoever won was the hero and everyone else was shamed. So just recognizing, just in conversations, I think one of the hardest things is this need to win. Okay. You know, do you want to win or do you want to be happy is is the mantra that I always work with. Get the last word. Yeah, I'll be right. Yeah. And it just, you know, start to to just do yourself such a huge favor just to start to recognize that propensity, (laughs) that need. Ooh, it just really, it's wild. Yeah. So to just, and you know, and that agree to disagree is such a great way to unhook yourself from that need. Mm-hmm. Well, let's agree to disagree, you know, and he's yeah. going to carry on going, no, 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 you know, or yeah. like, yeah, okay, fine. But, and to be able to really make that part of the relationship in a really respectful way. And then if he's not buying into that, talk to him in a vulnerable way about how you really hope for that, you know, in your relationship, this place where you can get to the win-win. One of my favorite tips is to always use I statements as opposed to you. So instead of you never do this, you never spend enough time with me or whatever it is, which is very accusatory, but it's more changing it to, well, I would really love it if we spent more time together. Yeah, and I think the way to keep yourself really honest with the you statements is that, finger pointing and as soon as you hear yourself criticize yeah just immediately ask uh is it byron katie 
turn it around and just ask yourself, how am I doing exactly what I'm accusing my partner of? Because absolutely you will be at some level. No, I didn't know. That's interesting. Yeah. It's just like a communications tip, I think, that I've learned. It really stuck with me. So what are the signs of a healthy versus unhealthy long-term relationship? Well, I mean, we kind of just covered it real yeah. quick. It's, so it's, let's an do agree, the it's sort of agree to disagree. Agree and disagree. there's a sort of respect about each other's mm-hmm. take on it and a real desire to listen and understand. Because, you know, for most men, it's like, if they agree, it's okay. Yeah. But if they don't agree, it's not okay. So it's mm-hmm. like, well, let's just try and take this to a deeper level where you can get some sort of understanding. And men don't need to agree. And this is, women can teach, mm-hmm. uh, you know, teach their men right. how to talk to them, how to deal with, how to help them talk them out of their tree when things get really heated as well. Yeah. Because I, I could imagine that, let's say, you only see one partner of the relationship, let's say it's the woman that comes to you and then the man isn't really doing all the work. So she's doing all the work now, right? She's trying to change and she's trying to really look after the relationship, but he's kind of like not pulling his weight in a way. How do you deal with that? Well, you just, you really talk to him in a vulnerable way, right? in an honest way. And it's getting out of your comfort zone, but it's really hard for women, I think, to be vulnerable So they tend to vacillate between not talking and being angry because it feels more powerful to be angry than it does to be vulnerable. It feels a bit beggy. Yeah, I probably struggle with that as well. I think uh, all women do, really. I think that's our key, one of our big takeaways as far as what what we've got to do, our work. Yeah. I was going to say, especially if you're really hitting at the, you know, high-achieving personalities that's probably a very very big characteristic challenge is to kind of flip that power play a little bit and say like actually I don't I'm not getting this I'm feeling lesser for it and I need you to hear me because I need you to be with me to fix it yeah and And you don't need to agree but you just need to accept that I feel that way right yeah so I mean I guess this is the question of your book when should one stay versus when should one leave if yeah. you're in a long-term relationship that maybe isn't really going that well, but maybe there might also still be a chance of saving it. What is that point that you reach where you, you go, okay, finally, that's it. Yeah, well, go. you, I mean, you give it a, a time frame as well. Okay. And you just work on you. Right. And then at the end of that time frame... I mean, this is obviously it in a nutshell. Sure. But so you, is there any markers, like your top three markers of, yeah. you know, look, or your top three red flags, if you start noticing certain characteristics happening yeah. or that you find yourself in situations more often than not. Yeah. Um, well, if you're asking for things in a really vulnerable way and he really doesn't want to know about it, but you've also worked on, because in order for a relationship to work, I mean, there's three levels of love. There's this sort of narcissistic level of love, which is like a child, and it's mm-hmm. all about me, me, me. Yeah. And then there's the quid pro quo level of love, which is where most people reside, I think. But that doesn't really serve the relationship. Mm-hmm. And then there's the unconditional love. Mm-hmm. And that's really, if you want a soulmate relationship, that's where you've got to start residing. Right. But it doesn't mean that you're a doormat. Right. But that's where you, that's where you come from. 
So that's what's going to actually rebuild the good stuff so that when you confront if there is good yeah. stuff there. So but that, say more about that because well, I was, I, I, I'm sort of struggling with the I mean, unconditional love and not being a doormat kind of. Yeah, do you like... Do. Well, it kind of ties in a little bit to yours like right. whether or not that idea of soulmate is a really realistic thing to be yearning for. Is that like a long-lasting way of seeing a relationship? I just, I think we get what we yearn for. So I say, put the bar really high and dream. I mean, that's really my absolute 100% belief. Yes. You know, if, you, if this is your expectation, it's like Henry Ford said, whether you believe you can do something, you believe you can't, either way you're right. <laughs> yeah. And I really, really mm -hmm. wholeheartedly believe that. So I mm -hmm. say, raise the bar, ladies. Yeah. I think we can have whatever we want. Okay. You want to get to the stage where you, you are unconditionally loving your partner, yet you don't want him to take you for granted. Yeah. Yet if he's constantly taking you for granted, yeah. then you also know that there's something wrong. Yeah, right? and that's a conversation you need to have. You know, the problem is, is that most women, and just it's like, have a little think about this, is that when something bad happens, most of the time you withhold the love, withdraw the love, withdraw the sex, or... You're not so careful about keeping your end of the, the whole relationship, that, you know, the things that you do that mm -hmm. make the relationship amazing. Right, yeah. When you're really upset or mad or whatever, yeah. you don't tend to pour the same mm -hmm. yeah. energy. And, yeah. and that's a dangerous thing mm -hmm. because for us women, it's a very temporary, you know, that emotional that feeling is very temporary and we can do a lot of damage when we withhold because then you're creating this horrific energy in your partner. Mm. But then that wouldn't that draw into a bit of a contradiction in the sense that if you're not getting energy to fill that so you can give it back, where's all that energy coming from? Like how do you keep giving and giving and exactly. giving if you're not being fed at the yeah. same time? Well, I mean, and that again, that's a conversation to have, right? Yeah. But the amazing thing about it is that when you're giving that energy and you're with the right partner, things are going to happen. But mm. if you're giving all that energy in with you with the wrong partner, yeah, yeah, big red flag, absolutely. So when do you know that when you're with the wrong partner? Then when you just really feel that you've given enough, you've given all that you have, and he's just not giving it back, and then you know that that's not the right partner for you? Yes. Because I feel like this is something I've really struggled with in my relationship life. I think I've given, maybe even overgiven, I yeah, would say, that's to the point, point where I'm running on a death train. Yeah. You know, like there's just nothing left for myself. Yeah. But I couldn't let go because I actually thought that this is the person for me. And, you know, but that's I, why I it's just so complicated at that point of time, right? Um and, and then not just that, you're like, oh, but I've already given so much. Like, mm. I've given so much, like such all these waste. years. Yeah. Exactly. It's such a waste, yeah. you know? But that's the thing is that you want to feed people from your source and not your cup. Mm -hmm. So right from the start, you want to be making sure that you're not over-functioning and not over-giving. Mm -hmm. And creating this man with all the bad habits, because really we do create that ourselves oftentimes. If he's the right man, mm -hmm. if he's a good man. Right. We can do some pretty awful things yeah. as far as create bad habits with them. Yeah. 
would you say we create them or we allow them to fester into bigger ones? <laughs> we allow um, them. Because there's got to be some, uh, there's gotta be some responsibility on their part for already having that in them, no? I mean... Well, uh, but I don't. I think oftentimes, if we're honest to ourselves, they started off differently, and these habits developed more than oftentimes were there mm-hmm. initially. Yeah. So you know, when a guy is at the beginning, when he's his whole thing is about serving his woman, loving his woman, being there for her, and if she is dealing with that the right way, he's going to carry on and do that and become just a better and better version of a good loving man and if she deals with it the wrong way he's gonna become the opposite really but you know that's not every man that's a good man yeah yeah Yeah, that's a good man but I think ultimately the key takeaway is that we are co-creators in whatever relationship we are in and we have to also look at what we facilitate in other people yeah, I think even and even in the beginning when we meet a good man, we're even a little bit more than like fifty percent because because mm-hmm. we have the language, we have the, it's what we do mm-hmm. as women. You know, we mm-hmm. are relational so much more, and we communicate, and it's so important to us. Right. So I think it's really our strength. Yeah, it's probably true of any relationship, really. Then actually, if you take it down to that level, yeah, not just with your partners. Yeah. So how can we set up our relationships for long-term success from the very beginning? Yeah, so just, I mean, that agreeing to disagree is absolutely huge. And this scary thing in here, especially for women, is really understanding how detrimental that whole thing is. And, you know, when when you catch yourself coming up with these wild theories, they're just so dangerous. And to... Recognize pull yourself back. Yeah, pull yourself back and just unhook from that. So where is your stance on um, the idea of starting a relationship off with therapy or starting a relationship off with consultation? There's actually quite a little, there's quite a few, I guess, celebrity couples now who who sell this idea. It's like, you know, bring all your baggage at the start of your relationship so that you're starting fresh with everything. I think it's great. So you'd be for that? I would be for that because I don't think we ask enough of the real questions before we sort of rush into a relationship and get chemically addicted, (laughs) you know, to completely the wrong person and then find out later. And if only we'd had these conversations at the beginning, boy, I really needed to know that about you, (laughs) you know, that our values are so different. And, but we don't have those conversations initially, you know, especially us cool chicks, you know, where it just feels like, Oh, I'm just being way too needy having a conversation that deep at the beginning of our relationship. There's a lot of that statement that if you are going for consultation, there's something wrong with you. Therapy, yeah, I think so, but I, just, I think the these beginning. days more and more. Sure. So, yeah. So it's not. But I mean, where are we supposed thing? to have gotten this? Because most <laughs> of us don't have that role no, model. We true. don't have that blueprint. So where, no. where you know, how it? are we thinking that we've even got that? Where is yeah. what is it in our DNA or something? But it wasn't in our parents. So where does that come from? Yeah. So I just think that recognition and taking that that expectation off yourself, Mm -hmm. you know, that expectation that you should know. Why should you know? Just even that itself, right? That's true. A lot of us didn't necessarily grow up with role models. Um, It depends on what your parents' relationships are. I mean, I think everyone kind of goes through phases as well. It's like you think you see perfection until you also grow into an adult and you understand what life is like. Yeah. And you're like, actually... Mm, if I think back, that was 
pretty not cool. Yeah. Or yeah. that was a little bit off. No, you're right. You're um, right. You know, there, there's you, you, you look at couples on the surface, yeah. and they they seem awesome. They just oh getting it all. You know, they're yeah, exactly. They're perfect. <laughs> they're crazy about each other. I want that, and then you kind of realize later on, actually, you didn't really know anything that was going on because it was actually crumbling inside. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, and you know, especially these non these conflict avoidant couples. Yeah, that just all looks so rosy and shiny on the outside, but yeah. they just don't. There's no connection. There's no real deep connection going on, and oftentimes mm. they maintain this, you know, because of all this pre this outside pressure. And you've got such a great little. It's like, oh well, I'm not going to tell you about, you know, the truth there. If you yeah. think the what happens behind closed, closed doors, doors effect. Yeah, yeah. it's like okay. the grit teeth conversations. Yeah. Smiling, smiling. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, I, I have a couple of people say to me, you know, oh, it's a good relationship. We don't fight as though not fighting is a good thing. Right. Mm, yeah. You know? yeah. Actually, I had a friend tell me, and I, it always stuck with me for some reason. It's like, oh, I just love the way we fight. Or it's like, you know, I want somebody that I can properly argue with or properly fight with. Despite the arguments, I can't stay mad at them for more than you know, a day or two days. I don't trust anyone who says, I've never fought with this person before. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, hmm, you might be a robot. Exactly. And yeah. you know, I mean, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. you know, but just knowing that you can push someone's buttons and you're going to have a reaction from them, mm. you know that they love you. It's when you get to that place where it's the shutdown. That's the absolute killer. Or the malicious intent. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, that. that's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, what is the, your number one hack for making great sex last in a relationship? My number one hack would just be show up fully and joyfully <laughs> and selfishly and playfully. Yeah. You know, just, just show up and have fun really would yeah. be my number one hack. And don't, just when you find yourself going there, that's don't why meditation is so good because it, takes you away from this scary place so you can come back and you know and you and have conversations with yourself you know in your head don't go there girl <laughs> focus on this instead come back to us <laughs> yeah that's right i think being present is is literally the greatest gift that you can give to your it partner. It really is. And yeah. also, you know, put yourself in a good place for it. You know, have that glass of wine or, well, you can't smoke doobies in Hong Kong, but, you know, <laughs> there are other places you can go in the world to get that kind of experience. But Destination put, sex, there you go. Yeah, destination <laughs> sex, absolutely. Or, you know, and a, and a warm bath so that you're relaxed and yeah. ready and just in the right mindset as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and also deal with that prop because women are just so, they really need to feel that connection first yeah so deal with deal, deal with, with that the too. underlying yeah. relationship as well yeah yeah because it's and i mean it is very, if you're not dealing with that there's only so much swallowing and unhooking that you can actually do right because we're all human no pun intended <laughs> yeah really <laughs> this is a sex podcast <laughs> and what's your number one hack for keeping love alive in a long-term relationship probably is that unconditional you know really just seeing the best in it and you know making that commitment burning your boats is just absolutely huge most of us don't burn our boats we have one foot out the door or we you know that, it's what's the same it? as a, like choosing your battles it, no like, burning your boat it's an aztec you know when they arrived in america and i think it was cortez and he said and in order to make sure that his warriors 
took over everything. They burned the boats, so there was no going back. Oh, right. yeah. So, oh, so be like fully, fully committed, one hundred percent committed. Absolutely. Yeah. No escape plan. Yeah, no escape plan until you need an escape plan down the road. But until then, don't worry about it. And I just think a lot of women, that's a really, really hard thing to do. I think especially with the younger generation. Yeah, oh my God. There's so much options, though. There's there's so many options. You know, your friends with benefits, you're one foot in, one foot out. Like, well, what if there's flirtationships that that aren't relationships? But, you know, I mean, John Gottman calls them the the lost generation, right? He's really deeply concerned about the commitment phobia. Yeah. You know, of this generation. And it's not surprising because they've watched... Their parents, which is my generation, yeah. you know, completely make the dog's dinner out of things. So it's like, I'm not doing that. There's got to be a better way, right? Yeah. Well, I guess they don't really, I mean, the divorce rate is extremely high. So, you know, that. But they don't have answers. People are searching. They're desperate for answers. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, they're using that old role model, which is just never going to work. So, you know, recognizing that you don't have an answer and that you want help and that you, you know, and you, that you need consistent help, you know, mm. find a mentor. That's the best thing you can possibly do is find someone that you gel with, that you can keep plugged in mm. with, mm. because it is, it's long, it's long-term work as well. And it's hard work and, but it's definitely worth it. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about your course and how you take women through this journey of, I guess, self-discovery, but also, you know, working on their relationship. Yeah, so really it is, it's in four parts. And the beginning is really very much about understanding yourself as a woman and recognizing your feminine power and recognizing the ability that you have yourself to choose and to soothe and to unhook again from this. Well, it's kind of like, it's almost like grasping, controlling, needing a certain outcome. And then understanding how men work, you know, the fact that they have completely different brains from us and that we are really treating our men like hairy women, which just is not going down very well at all. And then understanding how you get in the way in your relationship, how you're interacting in ways that are just really not serving you. So a course on how to deal with confrontation and get the best out of each other. And that's the third part. And then the fourth part is really taking stock and it's understanding what is really keeping you in this relationship. And to start to sort of have a look at that so that it's not a scary prospect if you suddenly recognize or eventually recognize, wow, I really am not with the right person. So you've got those steps in place and you can go around a couple of times. You know, nobody needs to leave in step number four. So it's that recognition that, you, you know, you can keep going around until you're good and ready to leave, but you sort of know what to expect and, yeah. Okay. And where can we find you and the course and what, when will it be released? Well, I'll, we'll have yeah. some links okay. um, below and also I have a free gift. Right. The Spice of Love, the Conversations oh. for Great Sex, for Great Connection. Right. Yeah. Okay. And that is a uh, like a little article, or uh, yeah, that's an exercise. It's right, a yeah free okay. book that you can download and Perfect. have these conversations and yeah. you know really deepen things. Yeah, and yeah. 
yeah, go to my website and yeah. sign up for my newsletter or sign up for the course if mm-hmm. you'd like to be on the waiting list for that. In mm-hmm. the fall, I'll I'll be you know running my next one. Yeah. So, yeah. And your website is it's the Academy of Lasting Love dot com dot com. So it's A L L. Just remember, you can have it all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't want to, you can leave it all. <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um okay well we've come to the part of the interview where these are the questions which you haven't received it's actually a little fun section which we call quickie but goodie it is it is so do we (laughs) and uh it's our rapid fire round okay and our rapid fire round is pretty much this round where i throw out a question all of the answers are for fun like they're mainly silly but they're all related to sex love and making it last and we all get to play as well sounds Uh, like fun yeah so who would you rather be in a long-term relationship with prince or michael jackson Oh, God be Prince, because he wrote the song Naughty Nicky. So I think he really gets me. And yeah, I think Prince as well. He's, I mean, I, I love the androgynous sort of sexual like intrigue. Yeah, I think he would be so kinky. Yeah. I like the less abstract. Yeah, it would be. Um, he would be so kinky, but into <laughs> things, into, you know, sort of of the legal age, <laughs> which is not what I could say for the rest. <laughs> Okay. Um, I don't know if either no. really appeals to me, to be honest with you. But, you know, when you think I mean, about it the end of the day, I think day. Prince is probably one of the few men who are shorter than I am. Yeah. Um, yeah. It doesn't maybe, matter when they're lying down. He's got more platform shoes than I do, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so who would you rather be in a long-term relationship with, Madonna or Marilyn Monroe? These are tough oh, questions, gosh. Sarah. I know, I it's know. so hard. Well, it is. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if i choose either, really. Yeah, I would say They both sound like difficult women. You have to choose one. Do I outlive them or do they outlive me? Yeah, that's a really that's good question. That's question. why I would choose Marilyn Monroe. At yeah, least you know she'd be gone say. after a while. <laughs> I think physically I speaking, I choose Marilyn Monroe. No offense, Madonna. I do love your music. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you happen to be listening, which you might be. You might yeah. Not. But yeah. I just also think Marilyn Monroe is probably a little more, was a little more in her feminine energy than Madonna. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think these are all is, really tough. It's kind yeah. of the same reason. Like, I don't know how well you know. I think being Madonna highly would be achieving. Well, Let's put it that way. Well, you know, you need that yin and yang, you need that feminine melody. As you said, like I just think being she a high balance. achiever or like you know somebody who kind of likes to argue may not want to be with another person who likes to argue. You think Madonna um, likes to argue? Do you think she doesn't? <laughs> Um, I think she'd be hard. Yeah, it should be hard work. No offense, no, you're right. We love you, but we love the hard work that you put into everything. Just I don't want to have to help. I've seen her on interviews. Okay, Um, best date you've ever been on. Best date I've ever been on would be the date with my husband, where we actually met physically after a month or so of backwards and forwards thing on the oh my gosh wow yeah without a shadow wow. of a doubt. so so as in like you had a 
online relationship or well, a we text met relationship? Out here. We right. met. He was here sorting out his late father's estate. Yeah. And we met, and there was there was there was chemistry. But I was with someone at the time. Okay. So then we reconnected over WhatsApp a mm. year later. And two weeks after, I'd finally got this Italian out of my system, this awful (laughs) habit that I managed to dump. Yeah, so then we just started getting to know each other and asking questions and really knowing each other in a way that, you know, has taken, well, I don't know if I've ever gotten to know anyone to that depth before I've jumped into bed with them. That was a bad habit of mine. So I'll be honest, really. (laughs) So that changed things for me. You waited a whole month. Oh, at least. (laughs) I'm very happy for you, but I feel bad having trouble answering those questions. I definitely think I know bits of dates that were very Mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. Um, Borderline the best bits of dates. But a full date in my memory as being the best date. It's very hard for me to pinpoint. I've it's very weird questions for most of these podcasts. I'm usually telling the worst dates that I have. <laughs> um, got, yeah, I've got a few Usually those. the worst dates that I remember, unfortunately. <laughs> okay, you can tell your worst date. Uh, no, I think I've, no, I think okay, I've done so that before. Um, yeah, I don't know. I can't answer that Okay, well, t- tell us a, a few of your favorites, like, uh, like a well, composite there, I mean, date. There's definitely been... I definitely remember a date where, it, I mean, it wasn't even a date, really. It just kind of this happenstance of hanging out that turned into just the two of us near the end of the evening, which then progressed into probably some of the hottest sex I've ever had. That that part I definitely, definitely remember. Okay, so that's the best part of the date. <laughs> that was being on. The best part of it was like how it got, actually the best Listen, part of guys. how it got to, how it just got to, you just couldn't stop talking. And then mm. the talking got like from mm. across mm. the table to the corners of the table mm. to in each other's face. Yeah. And then talking wild. turned into kissing, yeah. which then turned into walking and kissing, mm. which turned into can't keep hands off each other. That whole progression is, in my mind, the thing that really, really sticks with me. Okay. Sort cool. of nine and a half weeks kind right. of stuff. Yeah, yeah. In, in, yeah, compiled into mm-hmm. just, you know, mm-hmm. six hours. Okay. <laughs> okay, well, I mean... What I don't, about you? I, well, I don't know if this is the, the best, but it was, like, pretty awesome. Like, one of the best, I would say, is uh, being surprised to go on a helicopter ride around Hong Kong. And it was, like, a private helicopter ride because a guy that I was dating at the time knew, like, his best friend was, like, a pilot. And he knew all of the helicopter pilots. So, he got a private helicopter ride just around Hong Kong. Yeah, so it wow, was cool. Wow, exciting. Yeah. Not even to Macau. <laughs> just in a circle. Just in a circle. It was lovely. So, yeah. So, listen, guys. Love you get a lot from that. She wants to be schmoozed. <laughs> um, Experiential. All right, so we've come to the end of our show. Thank you so much, yeah, Nikki. And it was Kat a pleasure for joining me. It was <laughs> so awesome. We've had such an amazing discussion. So, key takeaway for all of you guys listening out there is that it does take time, effort, willpower to keep the fire burning in a long-term relationship, but it's possible. And, extreme, and it's worth it. And it's worth it. Thank you. So, don't make it an afterthought, guys. And if you've got any hacks for making sex and love last in the long term, I want to know about them. So you can drop me a line at sarahsense.com or slide into my DMs on Instagram at hellosarahsense. And for those of you who tuned into our Facebook Live, which we apologize, I think there was a technical difficulty. Which I'm really sorry um, because I feel like we're going to do it better next time. I'm so sorry. But I'm not sure what happened with the recording. Thanks anyway for being part of 
five minutes of this episode. <laughs> and until next time, let's all commit to a long and satisfying sex life as part of being better in bed. Yes. Thanks. Yeah, bye. 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 <laughs>